नमस्ते नमस्ते राजीव नमस्ते आई वॉन्ट टू इंट्रोड्यूस टू माई ऑडियंस अ वेरी वेरी इंपॉर्टेंट गेस्ट दिस इज डॉक्टर सत्यनारायण दास he runs the jiva institute i'll give you a little background uh, he's been very important and influential in my work for at least a decade probably longer uh, he's from the vaishnav tradition i will tell you a little bit about uh, his background he will explain more uh, and what is very unusual and very uh, important quality is that uh, he's dual uh, a practitioner with a lineage uh, he's a guru a uh, lot of disciples and so he is in the bhakti tradition so it is not just theory it is real lived experience uh, as a as a teacher great teacher a great guru at the same time he has a doctorate degree he is uh, very rigorous in his uh, uh, writings uh, and uh, a preeminent uh, scholar and thinker for the jiva goswami tradition so i'm very honored to okay. to have you here um now I I will just give a little overview of what all I plan mm-hmm. then we'll go through in one by one okay. so I will ask you these questions uh, one will be to uh, have you give us a little history of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Jiva Goswami history okay. what all happened mm-hmm. then uh, what are Jiva Goswami's major works you know right. which you which we discussed earlier and then um, the fact that his philosophy is based on the Bhagavatam as Shabd Shabd uh, Praman right how that relates to Vedas and uh, uh, a little bit of the major points of what that cosmology is and what his philosophy is after we're done with that i want to ask you then this will be my question i want to ask you how what is similar and what is different as compared to ramanuja mm-hmm. because a lot of people say it is same same or about the same kind of thing so how jiva goswami and uh, uh, you know ramanuja's uh, uh, vishishtadvait are distinct and then i'll want a discussion on how this might compare with sri aurobindo because i've studied lot of sri aurobindo mm-hmm. and he also talks about he uses the word brahman but he says brahman contains all potentialities mm-hmm. he's not context free and he's very critical of advait people who say that it is that, that there is no context in the ultimate there is no structure in the mm-hmm. ultimate reality he says it all, all the structures are included in the brahman so i want to see the, uh, how that uh, how you feel about that and then we'll discuss judaic christianity's cosmology mm-hmm. what is the issue between us our cosmology their cosmology what would it take to resolve these issues what is irreconcilable and then we'll talk about uh, our swadeshi indology conference number 2 where okay. i i'm very happy to say that uh, dr das has accepted the invite to be a speaker there write a paper for us uh, and i for your benefit i'll refresh your memory on what that conference is and why his contribution would be extremely important and then we'll close okay so that's a good uh, good, uh, good good content good top content so tell us about the history of chatani mahaprabhu and uh, jeev goswami chatani mahaprabhu was uh, born in west bengal at a place called navdeep in 1486 of common era and from his childhood he was you know very unique and special he was a very great student in fact when he was just about 16 years old he was running his own school in bengal this is called toll mm. you know like gurus used to have their private schools and students are learning his father was jagannath misra 
and his father died when he was young so he went to gaya to perform the shraddha ceremony for his father and that's when his life changed because there he met a great teacher vaishnava whose name was ishwarupuri who was supposed to be coming actually in lineage from madhvacharya so when he met him then his life changed and when he came back he started teaching everything in a bhakti manner so all the students were a little confused even when he was teaching them grammar he will speak about like dhatu you know dhatu is a root but he will say dhatu is krishna and you know the activities are for krishna so they thought that he is gone a little bit mad or something so they even they even complained to his teacher that he is not teaching us properly so the teacher called him but uh, he could understand that actually he is not mad but something deeper extraordinary happened. yeah happened to him before that he was known as a great scholar he was known as nimai pandit because his original name was vishwambhar mm. but uh, popularly he was known as nimai and pandit being mm-hmm. a scholar so then actually he closed his stall and uh, he started having his own group of people with whom he was discuss and then he started the sankirtan mm-hmm. he is known as sankirtan pita father okay. of sankirtan movement okay this what you see now sankirtan all over the place all over the world all over the world yeah he had predicted this it is written in his biography that prithvita yachayat nagradi gram sarvatra prachar hoibe morna he said that in every town and village on this planet this name will be spread so at that time people did not believe they thought what is he saying but this this is written at that time this right. biography chaitanya bhagavat was written by his contemporary the statement is there so now mm. this prediction has come true mm. so this hari krishna mahamantra which now even the yogis and even other people are singing this is what he started so he said that in kaliyuga it is the name of krishna which is most important and efficient mean and efficacious means of attaining the ultimate goal of life because he said that yajna is not possible because yajna has lot of conditions which we cannot satisfy you need purity of ingredients purity of place purity of time even mahurta has to be proper the chanting of the mantras has to be proper so he said at this at present we don't see that this is going to happen then he said about gyan marg is based on vairagya first of all it is not a universal thing no everybody cannot be a vairagya so what about those people who are living in house family people mm. so he said that in this kaliyuga the only process which actually can work and which is practical is this chanting sankirtan so he started doing sankirtan first one of at the house of one of his associate whose name was srivas acharya and he was doing it within closed room because this was not known the only thing which was known in those days was chanting of the vedic mantras reciting hymns doing yagyas so then he became popular more and more, and more people started coming to that and then he started doing it on the street so when he started doing it on the street the local brahmanas pandits they complained he says what is he doing because navdeep was known as a center of learning mm. just like kashi in up is mm. famous for learning like that navdeep was a center of education 
So all these brahmanas, they became upset that, what is this? This is not part of our dharma. So they became so upset that they went and even complained to the local uh, officer, Kaji, Chand Kaji was his name, who was under the king, that this Nima is spoiling our religion. So then this Kaji, he sent his police and when they were doing this Sankirtan with the Mridanga, he, they broke the Mridanga. So now Chaitanya became upset and he thought that I am going to oppose this, but in a very peaceful manner. So what he did that he gathered hundreds of his followers and in the evening they all started marching towards the house of Kaji doing Kirtan. So when this big mob was coming, the Kaji became scared and they reached this house and they were just doing Kirtan, you know, nothing else. They are not shouting slogans or anything like that. So when Kaji saw this or he came to know from his servants what is happening, he says this Nimai has come. Already Nimai was known. So he didn't know what to do. So of course being a politician he also knew how to deal with that. So he sent his assistant that you go and call this Nimai and tell him that I want to speak to him. So he called Nimai and Nimai came and first he discussed with him that why are you doing this. So Nimai he explained to him what he was doing and this is part of he actually from the scriptures he explained. Even this Bhagavatam which we are going to speak, the last verse of Bhagavatam is Nam Sankirtanam Yasya Sarva Papa Pranashanam Pranamodukya Samnastam Namami Harimparam. So the very word Nam Sankirtana is mentioned there. Mm. And that's how the book closes. And when a book ends with something, that is also one of the way to know sure. what is the intention of the book. Mm. And in the very beginning also it is mentioned, Shrotavya, Kirtitavyascha, Dheya Pujyascha, Nitada. Mm. So there also Kirtitavya means you have to do Kirtan. Mm. So what was the, this is the Mughal era. Yeah. So what was the, was there a Muslim influence or in terms of, was this a revival in, during the Muslim era? Did they react? What was that? What was the relationship with the Muslim rulers at the time with this movement? Because this must be something new happening. Yeah, well the one thing was that at that time the situation in Bengal was very unstable. Mm. Muslims were ruling and Hindu kings were very weak. In fact, they were conquered by them and the Brahmanas, they were you know, a lot of Tantra was going on. But Tantra is secret and hidden. This was open in the public. Yeah. So, so he it, wanted to it do... It was also provo provocation. I yeah, guess, it was also provocative and he wanted to do something which is available to everybody. Right. Not that some people are doing Tantra and Kali worship was being very prominent right. and people were doing a lot of animal sacrifice. So he was against all that. So he actually wanted to revive and also unite people because Sankirtan also means congregation of many people coming together. Right. Now you earlier mentioned Madhava. So what is the relationship between that lineage and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? So the relationship is that Ishwara Puri is supposed to have appeared or at least he was initiated in the line of Madhvacharya. His guru okay. was Madhvendra Puri and above that. Line. So would you say Chaitanya's uh, ideas are part of the Madhava tradition? Well, the ideas I cannot say that they are. I, I, because one of the things I want to compare is when you talked about, when you, when we discussed Jeeva Goswami, a comparison with Madhava would also yeah, be a good idea. Right. Yeah? So we'll do that. I think you can say that something is, I don't think that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu really took teachings of Madhava or did anything. He actually started something his own. But 
at the same time he was associated with the lineage okay so that means we can say that he was like a branch of madhava right. but he did something unique right so that that's the uh, that gets us uh, going on the discussion on chaitanya mahaprabhu so where does how does jiva goswami come into play so how jiva goswami comes into play is to continue that story that after that you know he became popular he convinced chand kaji that he is right and chand gachi actually passed an edict that nobody should stop the sankirtan and he himself became influenced by him so that is the birth of the sankirtan that is the birth of sankirtan very important yeah so but then what happened that since nimai was just a grihastha and in india you know usually the sanyasis they are respected right so there were people who were still you know like having some kind of grudge against him right especially some kind of envy also comes after all he is a young fellow becoming so popular there are many senior pandits living there so he realized that if i have to really establish my movement then i must take sanyas because that is then only people will have me as an authority so then he he was young he was only 24 and he told his wife and you know that this is what i am going to do of course wife first was not happy but she said that if this is going to help the humanity then i am willing to sacrifice for this cause so then one day he just left home and he took sanyas from keshava and then he as a sanyasi he met his mother not did not come home but there was another of his associate whose name was advaita acharya in a village called shantipur so his mother came to see him and see if, of course was crying because chaitanya mahaprabhu was very beautiful he was 6 and 7 6 feet 7 inch tall very nicely built so when he saw him without hair and shaved and she was crying what i don't know my son you know so then chaitanya he asked that what do you want me to do so he she said that at least don't go too far away you be in jagannath puri so that at least i will get news about you because people from bengal usually go to puri to have darshan of jagannath ji so he made his base at jagannath puri and there he became also popular because as i think yesterday i was telling you this incident when he the very first day when he came and he went to jagannath temple and he saw the lord jagannath which is a form of krishna then he fell on the ground he just got in a state of you know deep meditation and the pujaris there they thought that he is some kind of a crazy sadhu and they were trying to throw him out but then sarvam bhattacharya who was the guru of the king and the, this king was hindu prataprudra so he understood from the symptoms on his body he had manifested what are called satvik bhavas these are symptoms which you know ras shastra right there are eight of them right so all these symptoms were manifest on his body and therefore he could understand that this man is some very great personality he is not an ordinary being so he asked help and took chaitanya to his home in that state and when chaitanya mahaprabhu when he his name became chaitanya after taking sanyas krishna chaitanya was his sanyas name so when he came to his external consciousness then he spoke to him and he was very pleased to know that he is from navdeep because sarbham bhattacharya was originally from navdeep he has moved from there to puri because of the muslim rule and he had some other difficulties there 
He himself was a very great scholar. He is the one who brought Nyaya from Mithila, which was originally the center of Nyaya, because this uh, author of Tattu Chintamani, Gangesh Upadhyaya, yes. the founder of Navya Nyaya system, yes. he was from Mithila. Right. And after that, many great teachers, they appeared in that lineage. So Sarbham Bhattacharya actually studied there and brought Nyaya and then Navdeep became the center of Navya Nyaya. Then the great, right. many great personalities, Gadadhar and Raghunath Siromani, Bhavananda, all these appeared in Navdeep. In fact, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself was a great logician before he became a devotional movement. Yeah. There is a story that Raghunath Siromani has written a very wonderful commentary on Tattu Chintamani, which is still popular, called Didhiti. And he was a classmate of Nimai Pandit at that time. And once they both were in the river crossing, and Chaitanya had a book in his hand, and Raghunath Siromani asked him that, what is this book? So he said, I am writing commentary on Tattu Chintamani. Because in those days it was a tradition to write commentary on Tattu Chintamani, to establish yourself as an authority in the field. So when Raghunath Sromani saw this commentary, he started crying. So Chaitanya asked him that, what is wrong? What happened to you? So he says, well, I am also writing commentary and I thought that my commentaries will become world famous. But when I see your commentary, then they are pale in front of that. So Chaitanya said that, uh, don't worry. And he took the book back and he said, you will, your commentary will be world famous and he put his book into the Ganges. So he then became very popular in Puri and he is the one who started this Sankirtan now in front of Jagannath Rathyatra, which is still a tradition. So at that time, all the people from Bengal used to come and see him there and they used to do Kirtan. So Kirtan became very popular there. But his mission was not only doing Kirtan, that he wanted that common human being and normal person to do Kirtan, but he also wanted to establish the philosophy behind it. So then he selected two persons whose name were Rupa Goswami and Sanatan Goswami. And Rupa Goswami, okay, Rupa Goswami was Jeev Goswami's uncle. 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 Yeah. So these and two Sanatana brothers, brothers. Yeah. yeah, these yeah. two brothers, they were living in village Ramkeli, and they were actually ministers in the Muslim king. So he met them, and they became very influenced by him, and they said that we want to be in your service. So he ordered them that you don't be here, you go to Vrindavan. And then he asked them that your job there is to write scriptures, and he trained them. He personally trained these two people and to establish places of worship and discover the lost places of Krishna Lila. Mm. So these three jobs he gave to them. So these people, they came there, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, and later on some other people joined them, including Jeev Goswami. So they are known as six Goswamis of Vrindavan. And all the old temples in Vrindavan, whether it is temple of Radha Govindji, Radha Madan Mohan, Radha Damodar, Radha Raman, Radha Syam Sundar, they were all built by these Goswamis. Mm. So this, what you see Vrindavan now, was actually revived by them. Mm. Radha Madan Mohan. We need to revive it again. Right. So, <laughs> Which is what you have to do, you are doing. Yes. 
I'm making an yes, you know, you're, you're, so this is the origin of Jiva Goswami. This is the origin of Jiva Goswami. So I think the next thing we should discuss is what are his major works. What so if I understand correctly, to sum up, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu starts re, uh, revives the whole lot of things and uh, starts the Kirtan movement, and uh, but bhakti oriented. But he's a logician, he's an intellectual in his own right. And then Jiva Goswami comes and takes over the uh, intellectual rigor compiling of. Works. works. Yeah. So, what were his major works? So, before him, Rupa and Sanatan, his two uncles, they right. also wrote some books. Right. And he studied from them because he did not study directly from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Right. His major works, the most important work is the Satsandarbha. Yes. Which you have to so, this is uh, Dr. Das's translation of uh, one of the volumes. Uh, these are massive volumes. Uh, these two. I have two more from a previous, uh, I have two more uh, volumes uh, of your work that you gave me many years ago. Yeah, I'll just put these up there. Uh, these are very large, complex. I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed that uh, uh, huge amount of rigor, very academically, uh, you know, documented everything uh, and important translations of uh, into English. So these Sandarbhas actually, they, uh, they give the basic fundamentals okay. of Chaitanya's philosophy. Okay. And uh, this is his, one of the major work. He wrote many books. He wrote books actually in different fields. He also wrote poetry. He also wrote a book of grammar, hmm. which is called Sri Harinamamrit Vyakarnam. Hmm. Why he wrote this? Because when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu became influenced by Ishwara Puri and he came back, now he was explaining all the sutras in relationship with Krishna Bhakti. I see. So Jeev Goswami, he wrote the sutras of grammar in which every sutra has name of Krishna in it. I see. I see. So all this is in Sanskrit? All this is in Sanskrit. So this, this Sheldon Pollock theory that Sanskrit has been dead for thousand years because nothing important has been no, written. He, does, he doesn't know. He doesn't know all these yeah, things. So obviously, <laughs> Jeev Goswami alone, Rup Goswami's books and Jeev Goswami's books alone. This is, this is a living tradition. Would, would refute such a claim. Yeah, I'm, I'm teaching this these. grammar there. I have students yeah, yeah. learning it. Yeah. So uh, you had mentioned that uh, his philosophy, Jeev Goswami philosophy based on Bhagavatam. Right. Uh, as Shabda Praman. Yes. And uh, its relationship with Veda. So can you explain that? Yeah, so when he begins writing the Sandarvas, the first part is the Pramana Shastra, which is a tradition in India. Right. That first they discuss what is the Pramana. So in India, we all accept Vedas as the supreme authority. Hmm. And those who belong to the Vedanta school, whether that is a theistic Vedanta or non-theistic Vedanta, they all accept Prasthanatrayi as right. the authority, which means the ten principal Upanishads, Vedanta Sutra and Bhagavad Gita. But Jeev Goswami added a fourth to that. And not only added, but he said that this fourth one is superior to the other three. And he explains that. So that is Bhagavatam. Now why is it superior? That's what I'm going to okay. explain. He said that, first he starts, he says, as far as knowing the absolute reality is concerned, no human being can know that by, by our senses because our senses have limitations and they also are prone to be illusioned. So we cannot know the absolute reality from that. So the only way we can know is 
from the Vedas. Mm. But then he says that Vedas at present are not available in their completeness. Mm. And this we understand that even from Mahabhasya Patanjali, there, there should be 101,020 Upanishads. Mm. He mentioned this because the Vedas have 1,120 branches. Mm. So there are 100 branches of Rig Veda, 1,000 branches of Samveda, then 20 of Atharva, like that. So there are 120 branches of the Vedas, but at present what we have is maybe 10 or 12 of them. So he says, since so much is not available to us, we cannot ascertain from that what all is lost and what is available. And then on that also he says there is no consensus about the interpretation of it. So then he says that, well, there is Vedanta Sutra, which is supposed to give the essence of the Upanishads. So then he says that about Vedanta Sutra also there is a lot of, you know, opinion about it and major one is that some say that it is the ultimate reality is Nirguna Nirakar Brahman and then there are others Acharyas, Ramanacharya, Madhvacharya, Nimbarkacharya who say that no it is the personal reality. So he says how actually to ascertain which is superior and what is actually the essence of the Vedas. So then he comes to, he says that then we must have a book which explains these things very clearly. So then he ref, he points to Bhagavatam. Okay. Now the Bhagavatam itself begins with this story. If you read the fourth chapter of Bhagavatam, then Bhagavatam has this incident there that Vyasa, he sits on the bank of Saraswati river where his ashram was and he is little bit in distressful state of mind. And he's thinking that I have done everything. I, he's the one who divided the Vedas into four. He's the one who wrote Mahabharata for the common people who cannot. Strivasya Dishbandhi Nam Traina Sruti Gochara. Strivasya Dishbandhu, they are not allowed to study Srutis. So Karam Sreyasi Mudha Nam Shreya Eva Bhavediha. So how they are in ignorance about their activities, their duties, which will bring them the ultimate benefit. So, iti bharata akhyanam kripya muni nakritam. Therefore, he wrote Mahabharata. So, Mahabharata is actually giving the essence of the Vedas only. So, Bharata vyabdesena hi amnayartha darshita. In the name of Mahabharata, he has given the meaning of the Vedas. But then, if you read the Mahabharata, there are so many things which are mentioned. There are a lot of talk about istri dharma, varnashram dharma, dharma of the brahmanas, king, ras dharma, all those types of things and you still don't become clear what is one thing which is the ultimate reality. So when he was in this state of mind then his guru Vyasa, Narada Muni appears there and they talk and then Narada Rishi asks him how you feel and he says that I feel some incompleteness in me. So he says, why you feel incomplete? You have written Mahabharata, you have compiled the Puranas, you have written Vedanta Sutra, you, should, you have done so much welfare to humanity. So he says, I don't know, something seems still seems to be missing. So Narada then says that the missing part is that you have not very clearly explained the absolute reality. Bhavata Anudit Prayam Yaso Amlo Bhagavato Yaso Amlam that the 
प्योर फेम ग्लोरी ऑफ भगवान यू हैव नॉट रिटन सो नाउ यू शुड राइट अनदर बुक फॉर दैट पर्पज सो देन व्यासा ही सिट्स इन मेडिटेशन भक्ति योगीन सम्यक प्रणीत है मिले एंड इन द मेडिटेशन दिस नॉलेज इज रिवील्ड टू हिम सो दिस इज अ रिवील्ड नॉलेज अपश्यत पुरुषम पूर्णम मायम च तदपाश्रयम यया सम्मोहितो जीवो आत्मानम त्रिगुणात्मकम मनुते अनर्थो तत्कृतम चिपद्यते सो ही सॉ ही सॉ द सुप्रीम रियलिटी ही सॉ माया ही सॉ द जीवा ही सॉ द प्रॉब्लम ऑफ द जीवा बींग कंट्रोल्ड बाय माया एंड देन ही राइट्स भागवतम सो देर फोर इज दैट दिस भागवतम इज द सुप्रीम प्रमाण So tell us about that and uh, how this conscious tattva already includes all the potentialities already includes the prakriti it's not a dual separate purush prakriti and how that manifests so tell us about that yeah. the, the basic cosmology of the system. so one thing which i want to say that jeev goswami although he analyzes bhagavatam yeah and he brings out the principles but for everything he also gives pramanas from the upanishads from the vedas so he is not saying that i don't care for the vedas or i don't care for the upanishads so he's taking his he's interpreting and taking his knowledge out of the bhagavatam and then he shows that but then he's finding correlates support. correlates and supports in the upanishads to say that i'm not disagreeing with that at right, all right. this is more complete yeah. but i'm also finding that it is very consistent with the upanishads right. that sort of thing yeah so this this is his uniqueness in yes, so he's not rejecting that yeah so in the bhagavatam the the way bhagavatam begins this is very wonderful yeah. it begins with six questions right and one of the questions which is asked that there are so many scriptures bhurini bhuri shastrani so he he the sonakarishi asked that samudrhit yat saram that you please tell me what is the essence of all this bruhi na shraddha dhana nam yen atma samprasidati that we who are faithful you tell that one process by which our atma will become completely satisfied mm. because every human being whether you are theist or atheist or no matter what you are we are all looking for happiness mm. that is one point where we all agree mm. nobody will say that i don't want happiness so he says tell me where can i get this happiness bruhina shraddha dhana nam yen atma samprasidati now you can say well happiness i can get by food i can get by drug i can get by sex i can get by power all this thing so it says na samprasidati not some fleeting happiness but where i feel completely satisfied then my mind is not again running here and there and uh, permanent permanent yes so then he starts basically bhagavatam is an answer to that and that's why it is unique in that sense because bhagavatam is not he could have named this book as krishna purana but he calls it as bhagavat purana means it is the purana of bhagwan of the ultimate reality and then he identifies that with krishna so there he when he is answering 
he is first of course he answers this in savai punsham paro dharmo yato bhakti radhoksaje ahitkiya pratihata yatma samprasinati he answers in one sloka and then expands on he says that is the supreme dharma of a human being which will bring you to bhakti why because bhakti is the only thing which gives you complete happiness and then he starts explaining why what is the reason for that so in that process he says that dharma hi apargasya nartha arthayat kalpate narthasya dharma kantasya kamo labhai hi smrita kamasya nendriya priti labho jivata yavata jivasya tattva jigyasa nartha yasya karma he says that dharma is not meant to make money very interesting dharmasya hi apargasya nartha arthay kalpate he says dharma is meant for apvarga it is meant to liberate you from all this suffering and bondage and even the need to make money <laughs> <laughs> and then he says of course money is needed but he says narthasya dharma what is the purpose of money he says na kamo labhay na smrita he says money is not for sense pleasure money is meant for dharma good and then he says what is the purpose of sense pleasure he says sense pleasure is also needed so he says kamasya na indriya priti he says sense pleasure is not for just gratifying your senses but so that you can survive kamasya na indriya priti labho jivata yavata you take as much as you need to survive so that you can live then the question comes why you have to live what is the purpose he says jivasya tattva jigyasa he says the purpose of life is do tattva jigyasa now he, this is where vedanta comes athato brahma jigyasa because brahman and tattva same thing तत्व ब्रह्मणी यथार्थ द वर्ड तत्व मीन्स ब्रह्मन एंड यथार्थ सो इसे जीवस्य तत्व जिज्ञासा ना अर्थो यश्चे हे कर्म इसे द गोल ऑफ लाइफ इज नॉट अर्थ बाय योर कर्म बट इट इज तत्व जिज्ञासा बिकॉज ओनली दैट तत्व जिज्ञासा विल लीड यू टू हैप्पीनेस आफ्टर ऑल फ्रॉम मनी आल्सो व्हाट यू वांट इज हैप्पीनेस मनी इज नॉट फॉर द सेक ऑफ मनी यू थिंक दैट मनी विल गिव यू सपोर्ट एंड यू विल बी हैप्पी बट इट इज दिस विल कम ओनली बाय तत्व जिज्ञासा next the question comes what is tattva yes so let's start there that's the philosophy yeah so that's where the philosophy comes and this is one of the very important shloka and on this shloka he writes three books okay so he says vadanti this is in bhagavatam vadanti tat tat vidas tattvam yas gyanam advayam brahmeti parmatmeti bhagavan iti shabdat he says those who are tattvit they say that tattva is advaya so this is very interesting bhagavatam is not saying that tattva is krishna to begin with mm. because then many people will say well i we don't i don't believe in this i am a shaivite or i am this or i am that he says that tattva is advaigyan tattva is non dual consciousness mm. now about this nobody will have any argument mm. so that is the common ground at which all transcendentalists transcendentalists will agree nobody is going to disagree that the ultimate reality is one because it cannot be two then it is not ultimate and it has to be conscious because matter cannot be the ultimate reality so therefore he says that ultimate reality is advaigyan that is one thing then he says that this ultimate reality is known by three names mm. now it is not that there are three ultimate realities but there are three different names for that so it says brahmeti parmatmeti bhagavan iti shabdate that it is called brahman parmatma and bhagavan okay so for that jiv goswami has tattva sandarbha it has bhagavat sandarbha it has parmatma sandarbha 
on the three names yeah. of reality. Yes. It is very interesting that most people in India, Hindus, we don't know the difference between Bhagwan and Paramatma. Mm. We, you know, we understand that Brahman is and Bhagwan are different. Right. But what is the difference between Paramatma and Bhagwan? Mm. This is not known. Mm. He wrote a whole book on that. Mm. So what, what he says is that this ultimate reality, first of all, has energies. Right. Because Upanishads also say, Parasra Saktir Vivdhayushruyate Sabhavaki Jnana Balakriyacha. That this Tattva has Parashakti. Mm. And it is Sabhavaki. Mm. So it is not a superimposition. Mm. As Advaita Vedanta. So it's not Maya causing it. No. Sabhavaki Jnana Balakriyacha. Mm. Sabhavaki means inherent, intrinsic to that mm. Tattva. Mm. So, but then there is also talk of that this Brahman is Nirguna and Nirakara, there are statements. Right. So Jeeva Goswami says that the same reality can be understood at three different levels. Mm. I give this example many times that suppose you are in an aeroplane, you are coming to New York. So when you are above, you see the Atlantic Ocean. Right. You just see a big mass of the ocean, you don't see any variety in it. Then you, when you are near the airport, you start seeing that there are some boats inside the ocean, right. there is some variety. But then you go to the airport, you go to the beach and maybe you go inside the sea and you see actually this is the whole world there. So these are the three different views of the same object. Mm -hmm. It is not that the, there are three different objects. And these views depend on the individual's level of consciousness? Right. right. Mm -hmm. So he says that those who are following the path of Jnana Marga, because Jnana is only for Mukti. Right. They want freedom from suffering. This is how Sankracharya says that you have to approach a guru as if the whole world is on fire, mm. right? Mm. So then you don't have a time to ask who put the fire and what, just get the hell out of here. <laughs> right. So that's why mukti means, mukti means liberation from Right. So it is not telling you what is after that. Just that I am suffering and I want to get rid of my suffering. Mm. So therefore they only speak of Brahman which is free from all that. Right. So that is their understanding of the Absolute. Right. But that doesn't mean that Absolute does not have power in it. Otherwise, how this world comes into existence. So he says that Bhagwan is replete with energies. And the realization of same Bhagwan without energies is Brahman. Just like if you have a red rose. So in red rose there are two things. It is a qualified object, yes. right? So there is an object, substantive, that is the rose. And then there is the quality redness in it. Mm. Now, usually whenever we see something, we always see it with these qualities, whether it is a form or a color or a shape or, you know, some smell or fragrance, different qualities. But actually, according to Nyaya philosophy, whenever we see something, the, at the first moment, your experiences of object and the qualities separate from each other without any relationship. So that is called nirvikalpa protection. Mm. And then at the second moment, there is a Savikalpak protection, qualified experience. Mm. So he says that this Brahman is the Nirvikalpak experience of Bhagwan. Mm. And because these people don't want more than that, they remain at that level only. Mm. But that doesn't mean that something above is not there. Right. So therefore he says we have no problem with that. We are only saying that this is one aspect of the absolute. But there is more to it. But there is more to it. Right. So therefore he says that this is incomplete experience of the Tattva. So the Advait, the non-duality, 
the the emptiness of form and content is true but it is not the whole truth right that is the, it is part of it it is part of it yeah. okay so he says this is asamyak avirbhav of tattva yes. that is the word he uses that this is the incomplete manifestation of the reality to them hmm. because this is as krishna says in bhagavad gita ye yathamam prapadyante tam stathai bhajami hmm. as one approaches me i relate myself in the same way so if you want to see krishna as brahman then he appears to you as brahman mm. and he, why should he appear as krishna because you, you are not interested in that <laughs> right, right right so just to say it differently uh, uh may make sure i understand it uh, we're talking about structure and content right and uh, we're contrasting it with the advait view where the structure and content is a, is caused by the maya no it is superimposition it is a superimposition uh, and it is a, it is false it is illusionary and the truth is to get rid of the maya and see the uh, the the reality and that reality doesn't have content and structure yeah not only see the reality but you become one you, you become one because there is nothing else i was originally trained and raised in the advait system mm-hmm. but then i discovered many other uh, uh, ways of understanding uh, which were not advait Right. Uh so I want to ask you this question uh Sri Aurobindo's view is that the ultimate the absolute tattva includes in potential all the content all mm-hmm. the content context space time naam roop everything in potential is there mm-hmm. and then it manifests into the world as we see it right so uh the wave and the ocean uh the wave is a form of the ocean doesn't mean that the wave doesn't exist the wave is also real right but it cannot what is false is to think that it exists as a thing by itself right to not see the ocean and you only see the wave because that is all you can see on the surface and say this what i'm seeing is all there is this is the truth that is what is an illusion yeah. but to know the wave as a form of the ocean and to see both there is an ocean and then there's a wave to it is in fact a better insight Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I would agree. Except that Jeev Goswami goes a little step beyond that. Okay. Because in this, the problem which comes is that means all the imperfections of the waves, they also exist in the tattva. Okay. They become part of tattva. Okay. So now, no one will accept that hmm. because we say that tattva is amalam. Yes. Yeah. Free from any defects. Free from modification. This is one big problem. Actually, right. why we, why Advaitvada Sankracharya says that world is false is because the ultimate reality cannot have modifications. Right. Even we jivas, we don't get modified. Avikaryo yam, chintyo yam. Krishna says that it is avikaryo. Mm. So this, this, this. Now the samsara is having a vikar in it. Right. So if this is exactly one part of that, then how we are going to trans? right distinguish this so you have to figure out even though the wave is real yeah uh, how to handle the imperfection or the imperfection this should not reflect in themselves yes reality. so how what is his answer so therefore advaitvad had a very simple way of doing it then you could put maya yeah, then this is actually everything you blame on maya yeah it yeah. doesn't really exist right so we so, don't have to worry about so it so you don't have to worry and others have dealt in different way sri ramanujacharya says that it is qualified monism right it is a quality and he calls this sharir shariri bhav just like we have body and there is a shariri inside the atma 
So the imperfections of the body do not reflect into Atma, but Atma, the Sareer cannot exist without the Atma, so Correct. it depends on that. Right. This is his way of saying. Jiva Goswami comes with this idea of Achintya Bheda Bhen, which okay. is a very beautiful idea. Achintya Bheda Bhen. Yes. So he says that absolute reality, first of all you must understand that absolute reality is Achintya. Inconceivable. Now inconceivable should not be misunderstood that we cannot understand it. Okay. People think just because it's Achintya I cannot know. Achintya, achintya he says that Achintyam Nam Tark Asaham, that it is beyond logic. Okay. If you want to understand the absolute reality simply by logic, mm. then you will have some problem somewhere or the other. Right. Because obviously it must be about logic. Right. If it is absolute reality, because logic is a product of mind. Right. And you can give one logic, I can counter that with another logic, then you can come with another logic. Yes. I studied Nyaya. Nyaya is full of all that. One. Yeah. <laughs> one after another, one after another one. And there is no end. there is no perfect logic. Right. So therefore there is a Vedanta Sutra which says Tarka Apratishthana. That Tarka does not have Pratishta, means it does not have the ultimate stand. Hmm. Somebody with a better, better and finer, you know, thinking mind can count it. So, therefore, our Praman is not Tarka, but Praman is Shabda. Yeah. So, therefore, Achintya also means Shastraika Gamyam, hmm. that which can only be known by Shastra, hmm. not by Tarka. But that does not mean that absolute reality is completely illogical. So, there is things which you can say is illogical, things which are logical and things which Paralogical. are supralogical. supralogical yeah. So, this is Achintya what he means. Okay. And that supralogical includes the logical in it. Yes. Yes. Fine. So, this logical part is also there but it has a limit hmm. and above that you should not then become adamant that it must also be logic. But right. There must be something which you go beyond that. Right. So, how do you explain the imperfections? So, the so therefore he says that this, he makes that absolute reality has got three types of energies. There is an intrinsic potency, Antranga Shakti. Which is permanent. Yeah, all is energies are or, permanent. Or, okay. yeah. And then there is the Tatastha Shakti, which is intermediary. And then there is external Shakti, Bahiranga. Okay. So this material world is made of Bahiranga Shakti. Okay. Now, because it is Shakti, energy, potency and he is the potent one. So, this Shakti is not independent of that. Correct. So, when we say that something is Bheda, Bheda means just like this table and this chair, there is a difference between them. Why? Because this chair can exist without table. And vice versa. Yeah. Hmm. The existence of the chair does not depend on the existence of the table. Right. But this material world cannot exist without the Supreme Tattva. Right. Therefore, it is not Bheda in that sense. Right. So, it is Abheda in that. Okay. Because this cannot exist. But at the same time, there is also Bheda. Right. Because this, what happens in this does not reflect in it. Right. So that's why Bheda and Abheda both exist. So, he says, he spends a lot of time to explain that God, Bhagavan or Tattva has contradictory potencies in him. Very important point. Yeah. Very important. So, he says Virodha Shakti. So, these are potentials. Yeah. They have not been realized until they are realized. Prakriti, prakriti is sort of the realization right. of these potentials, yes. right? So it also means that this sankhya dualism, purush prakriti gets reconciled. Right? Am I right? That 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 uh, they are not two ultimate truths. There is one. Actually, tattva. everything gets reconciled in the Sachinta Bhedam. So the, the nice. one the one uh, tattva includes 
all the forms, all the content structures as potentialities, including all the contradictions. Right. Including all the contradictions. Including all the contradictions. So whatever emanates out of it, will as it scatters and emanates more and more, it looks more and more like the world to us. Right. And it looks like this is contradicting that and this is separate but, from that. But in him there is no contradiction. He, he is the one personality in which all contradictions get harmonized. So it's like a person who's got many, many facets, in uh, infinite facets, infinite right. potentialities. Yes. And in from Rajiv's point of view, I, all of that is harmonized. Yeah, because you, you, may, see, you may think that I have all these contradictions. You say you may be acting in one way with one person. Yeah. And you know, maybe may very cruel way. Huh. And with another person, you are having very love. But I have a reason for it. Yeah, you have a reason. Huh. And so you and for don't. Me it's, for me, it's no, it's no contradiction. So these two people may think that you are behaving very contradictory. Right. But in you, you don't have that contradiction. Because they have the external view of me. Right. And I, mine is an internal. So view. therefore, in God, in Bhagwan, in Krishna, there is no contradiction. Right. Right. This contradiction is from our point of view. Right. Right. But not from their point of view. So right. we can see the reality from two angles. Right. We can see it from our point of view and we can see it from the absolute point of view. Right. So when we see from absolute point of view, there is only oneness. Right. Vasudeva Sarva Mahatma Sudarlam. So you also have non-duality. Right. It is not a dualistic system. No, it is, not, no it is not a dualistic uh, system. Uh, and so this is a kind of Advait, but a different kind of Advait. Right. It is not the Shankara Advait. No, it is not Shankara. Shankara Advait. It is an Advait which says the oneness includes the manyness. Right. The manyness is included as oneness, potential of the oneness, and therefore when it manifests, it is not some illusion, it is a reality. Right? Right. But you have to see the waves as a manifestation of the ocean, as long as you are seeing the ocean when you are seeing the waves, you are okay. Right. So therefore he says that the other part of manifestation of Bhagavan, yeah. which is the spiritual world, right. that is all made of his intrinsic potency. And modifications don't apply there. That is beyond the three gunas of nature. So we have all the three gunas this side. This is the Bahiranga Shakti. This is the material creation. And then there is a spiritual region where God personally lives. Mm. So therefore, what is the need of Paramatma? This is interesting. Mm. Why, why Paramatma? Then why not have just Brahman and Bhagwan? Mm. So Paramatma is that Paramatma is in charge of this material world. Just like you have your home. So you have your wife, your children, you have your inlay. You are very cool with them, nice, loving affair, you know, no problem, relaxed. You may be not dressed in a very official manner, but suppose you also have an office. Right. And where there are 5,000 people working under you. So when you go there, then you are a big boss. You may have actually personal guards around you. No one can come and touch and, you know, just crack a joke with you like, you know, your children may do that. So when you go there, there your dress and your mood both change. And your actions are different. When you come home, you drop all that and now you are relaxed. So therefore Bhagwan is God when he lives in his own home. And Paramatma is when he comes in his office. Okay. So, so Paramatman is the access method to us. Right. Huh? Right. So, so if, he, there were a, if there were a website that would be Paramatma. Right. Paramatma.com. Right. Not Bhagwan. No. Bhagwan, you, Bhagwan is not known to us. Okay. So when people are talking about God and Ishwara, yeah. this means Paramatma. 
right so this parmatma this is what krishna says samoham sarbhutesu name deshastu namriya he says that i am equal to all mm. so he is fair to everyone mm. but when he is at home he is not like that mm. he has he loves one child more than the other one obviously even father or like yes, that yes. you know right he has some more affection for one thing so therefore he says ye bhajanti tu maam bhaktya maichatesu tam that those who worship me with love yes i am in them they are in me right so there he becomes biased parmatma is unbiased mm. bhagwan becomes biased to his devotees so mm. he can come and kill hiranyakashipu and protect prahlad mm. parmatma will not do that so is the distinction the, the, so in this system achint bheda ved different entities as we see them while reconciled as bhagwan sees them right uh, and contradictory as we see them but not contradictory as bhagwan sees them do these ultimately exist in other words in other words will the atman be always distinct atman from paramatman or will it merge no no it will always be distinct distinct yeah always so so the because that is the fun that is the fun so see, so what we're saying is if you come home yeah so what we're saying is don't find anybody there no but what we're saying is the very important point here is that every atman exists as a potential within paramatman emanates from there yeah. and it always is a distinct entity so all all possible atmans are potentially possible existing within paramatman already yeah already yeah there, there there is no beginning of first of all na jayate mriyate va kadachin nayam bhutva bhavitavan bhuva atman does not have a birth or death we are as old as god so so this universal this tatva has already included all the possible things that will come out of it including all the atmans yeah, has already yeah. so there is nothing infinite. nothing infinite. is created nothing is new this purnamada purnamidam purnat purnamadachyate so that's how that would be interpreted by you yeah. that shloka so this means that uh, uh, the ultimate liberation moksha uh, what is that state yeah this is now very interesting thing Yeah, because that's a different thing than saying okay we we are don't exist anymore yeah. because so it, what's Goswami, the point jeev yeah. goswami says that actually goal of life is not moksha okay so he says there is a fifth purushartha okay he says dharmartha kama moksha this is known to people but actually the real purushartha is preeti prem mm. love mm. says if you take moksha then also you are trying to be independent of god which is the disease of living being here what what is the problem of living being here is that we are trying to be independent of god mm. and enjoy mm. and that's not going to work out because you are not independent mamai vanso jeeva bhute jeeva lokas mamai vanso jeeva loka jeeva bhuta sanatana so we are amsa of krishna so we cannot be independent but if you want to be he gives you the facility and then you can get kicks from maya and maybe one day you will realize that you cannot be so then you come back to him So he says that the real goal of life is to get preeti, mm. and therefore he writes one book which is called Preeti Sandarbha, mm. and in that he explains, and this is this makes sense. So now here he equates love with happiness. He says this happiness which people are actually looking for, really they are looking for love because there is no difference between love and happiness. He says the real happiness is only in love. Even if you have everything with you. but you don't have love in your life you would feel like committing suicide but for love sake if you don't have anything you will be satisfied so love is a eternal state yeah so therefore he says that the goal of life is to have that love for krishna mm. 
so therefore he says the god's name is krishna this is not a hindu name or anything krishna means all attractive so we are looking for love he is the love personified therefore he is all attractive so he defines bhagwan Yes. He says, "What is Bhagwan?" He says, "Ashwarya, Samagrasya, various, various, Ashwarya, Gyan, Vairagyas, Chapi, Sundam, Bhagavati, Tingana." That the word Bhagwan, like Balawan, means one who has Bala power. Dhanwan means one who has Dhan. So Bhagwan means one who has Bhaga. So he says, "The six things are called Bhaga: Ashwarya, Virya, Yas, Shri, Gyan, and Vairagya." So one who has got all these six things in completeness. he is bhagwan so krishna manifested all six he showed his ashwarya in dwarka he showed also his vairagya when he was leaving all his family was destroyed he showed his gyan he spoke bhagavad gita on the battlefield three so uh, it seems to me that the uh, neti neti is sort of negating mm-hmm. uh, but not affirming something positive like right. love right uh, so both the the shankara system and the opponents he has from buddhism uh, are a kind of a negative uh, negating what is false uh, but not a positive uh, approach towards what is uh, not affirming what is true n- not affirming a tatva which bhakti allows right uh, so the uh, while advaitins will explain logically that it is not a world negating not a negative outlook it is easy for advaitin ordinary people to slip into that so right. many or many ordinary people i meet whether it is their imperfect understanding or whatever and that is what has bothered me a lot is that i being through the advait system found myself surrounded by people very negative attitudes very escapist not wanting to do anything ultimate realities that all this is false anyway we got to abandon it then you ask them okay why are you a doctor if you want to heal a person Uh, but whether he's living or dead it's all maya anyway how does it matter to you why do you want to be honest whether you are dishonest or honest it's all mithya anyway no there's uh, no basis of there is no i mean then they get angry they they i mean i've had lot of discussions with pretty senior uh, you know persons in the advaita tradition who could not handle this kind of an issue because mm-hmm. it was too provocative for them right uh, rather than getting angry at me and for raising these issues they ought to give an intelligent answer so uh, this bothered me a lot uh, Uh, so i but i didn't feel that uh, advait in itself is deficient i just felt that this particular approach to advait that many people have had is, is different so therefore jeev goswami harmonizes he is not rejecting advait i like that yes but he is giving something more than that right he is saying the one includes the many right and includes the multiplicities and, and contradictions includes all of those yeah, things now it's a question of where are you where is your consciousness looking at right are you looking at the many the one where are you looking at so so now this is i find that the uh, my access into this kind of a thinking happened through the study of uh, sri aurobindo mm-hmm. and i wouldn't be surprised if he had been influenced by jeev goswami because It's possible because he was from bengal he was and is very deeply saying these kind of things he is very angrily rejecting shankara also because he says it's all negative this that he doesn't want to uh, get into the advaita uh, vedanta theory and all that because he feels it's not a positive view so uh and this idea but he uses the vocabulary of brahman brahman with potency brahman with the you know all the potentialities he uses the idea of supra rational that through the supra rational consciousness you see more than the rational now there's one thing he does 
which I want to ask you whether, uh, what is Jiva Goswami's uh, position on that? Sri Aurobindo made a very provocative statement, which became sort of the center of his whole philosophy, that there is an evolution of the collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. Not just individual that you are evolving and I am evolving, but collectively we are evolving to something higher than the ordinary human being. Like animals evolve to us, we are evolving to a higher state. And that higher state is not just for me alone where I am having this enjoyment, but there, it is a, it will happen first to some individuals. But there is a the whole consciousness uh, is itself going through these experiences and evolving and will keep evolving to a higher being. Where so when you say collective consciousness, what do you mean by that? The, he means all humanity. That, so there will be a, everybody. There will be at some point in time like monkeys are monkeys are to humans, the humans will be to somebody something higher. So mm-hmm. there will be at some point in time a higher being uh, uh, with its own population, its own number of people, but living in a supraconscious state. So that is his teleology. Mm-hmm. As the uh, while uh, uh, you know, Christians would say that okay, one of the problems is uh, with Hindu th- conventional Hindu thought is that you're escaping into some uh, place. Uh, who's going to look after this world and so on and so forth? And they have the concept of heaven, you know, where everybody is going to be together. Sri Aurobindo's collective consciousness is right here in the world. The collective consciousness, which is in an evolved state. Is there something, what about the collective future of uh, humanity in in, uh, Jiva Goswami? See, first of all, let me say one thing very clearly, that there is no such thing as collective consciousness. It's a misnomer, just like when you say forest. Forest is not some individual entity, it's a collection of trees. It is made of individual trees, Mm -hmm. like you say society. Society is not some living being in itself. It is made of an individual human beings. So if individual human beings don't make progress, then there's no question of saying that collective consciousness is yeah. going to No, work. he says it is required that you have to, that his yoga is that you have to evolve yourself as an individual. Yeah, so, individual. so ultimately it is the individual who has to evolve. Yes, but then the, the, then the result of many, many trees growing and becoming at a higher level, the whole forest also evolves. Yeah, that is possible. So, so. But, uh, but at the same time, some trees from that may also devolve. Like Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Urdhvam gachanti sattvastha, madhye tishthanti rajasa, jaganya gund vrittistha, adho gachanti tamasa. So he says that those who are in sattva, if you live a sattvic life, you go up. If you live a rajasic life, you remain here. If you live a tamasic life, then you go down. So it depends ultimately on the individual. Now out of that humanity, many people are living sattvic life, then many will go up. So therefore we have this concept of yuga. We have satyuga, dvaparyuga, treta yuga, dvaparyuga and kali yuga. So now satyuga means that basically everybody was like a paramhansa. So there is a collectively higher consciousness. Right, higher consciousness. So, now, the, so the collective consciousness evolution in the Bhagavatam would be through a yuga. Right. That yuga would be the uh, higher state of consciousness would be very ordinary. Yeah, and this whole Varnashrama system was made for collective consciousness to go up. What is the purpose of Varnashrama? That every individual according to their guna and karma, chatur varna, maya system, guna karma, by using your 
guna, your nature, according to your prakriti and the activities you perform, you should evolve upwards. Right. That was the purpose of it. Right. This is the collective process. Yeah. So but that's good. That, but that Varnashrama, Jeev Goswami says that it has to be now linked up with bhakti. Yes. Because if you don't link up with bhakti, then this Varnashrama by itself is because it is material. Yes. It is not going to evolve. So, Varnashram, Acharvata, Purushena, Puman, Vishnu, Aradhyate, Pantha, Nanyatta, Karna. The purpose of Varnashrama is actually to worship Vishnu. Hmm. So, if you do that, then the whole society goes up. And then there is no question of that Brahmanas are suppressing the lower class or the women are being suppressed. It's not a question of suppressing. Woman by doing her duty is also going up. Right. And Sudra by doing his duty is also going up as much as Brahmana is going up. Except right. that Brahmana has to actually work harder than the Sudra. Right. Right. He has to be very austere. He cannot make money. Right. He is not allowed to make money. Right. Right. No, that's good. 